Hello, my name is Adam Marsh and you are listening to a special mini-episode of Cinelit. Recently we have started our exploration of the crime cinema genre, starting with the first 30 years or so of cinema. In that podcast we covered early silent cinema, serials and evil masterminds, as well as the birth of the US gangster film. Here in this mini-episode, myself and Cinelit's resident expert Daryl Buxton take a look at another sub-genre of crime that was flourishing in the early days of cinema, that of the old dark house movie. Enjoy. Alongside the rise of the gangster movie in the early days of silent cinema, you had another little crime genre blossoming and, and, and flaring up, and that of the old dark house style um, mystery. It's a dark and stormy night. We find shelter in an old dark house. It's a reading of a will. I've brought you all here. And we had a slew of those movies. All the stuff you've just said to me there, wouldn't you agree? Even people that have never seen one of the films we're going to talk about from the 20s and 30s, even people that have never, ever seen one of those will know all of those cliches, the creaking door, the, the secret panel, the secret corridor, the hand reaching out to grab the heroine, the reading of the will at midnight. People will have picked all of this up from cartoons or comedy. I was about to say, everyone's seen Scooby-Doo, Daryl. Yeah, Every, exactly. Everyone's seen Scooby-Doo, so it's well, fine. Now yeah. what we're going to talk about is where Scooby-Doo got all its ideas from. So, yeah, where, where do you want to start, Daryl? We, we, we talked about D.W. Griffith. D.W. Griffith made a film called One Exciting Night in 1922, which wasn't really a sort of popular success for him. You know, people expected more from Griffith, I think, especially after he'd done his epics in, in the mid-teens, you know, sort of 1915, 1916, with Intolerance and, and Birth of a Nation. And One Exciting Night, I think, was seen as a bit of a frivolity from him, you know, uh, but it really kicked off the old Dark House thing. What you got then was um, a lot of comedians came along and started spoofing it, like uh, there's a brilliant Harold Lloyd film called Hot Water, which I I recommend you see. Buster Keaton did an old Dark House spoof. Laurel and Hardy did one called Do Detectives Think, which is actually the, the first film in which Laurel and Hardy wore their suits and derby hats. And the reason for that is that they're playing detectives from a Pinkerton-style agency, and they get hired to protect a judge from a character who's escaped from prison called the Tipton Slasher, who's this absolutely terrifying psychopath played by Noah Young. So these two Pinkerton-type detectives are assigned to the case, and of course, being Laurel and Hardy, they mess it all up. But they they loved the hats and the costumes so much, they just kept wearing them for the rest of their career. Uh, so that all comes out of an old Dark House movie. But where, where the old Dark House really, really sort of um, started boiling was um, not, not in cinema, but in theatre. A lot of the film successes were actually based on hit Broadway plays, like The Bat and The Cat and the Canary. There were a lot of these plays around. It was a big thing on on stage in the 1920s. And then in the late silent period, The Cat and the Canary got filmed in 1927. And also what you've got is um, you've got this influx of foreign filmmakers who were coming to Hollywood, uh, like Paul Laney and Benjamin Christensen. Paul Laney in particular made made a string of these old dark house or haunted theatre type movies in the late 20s. And then he died very young. He died before sound film came in or before he had a chance to do a sound movie. 
a bit like Long Cheney in terms of acting. We're going to talk about Long in a moment. What what might we have had if Long Cheney had continued into the sound era? What might we have had if Paul Laney had continued to direct films into the 1930s? Um, we'll never know. But yeah, in, in terms of early cinema, you know, you've got the, the early successes with things like The Bat and The Cat and the Canary. And these films took their storylines from Broadway but then they established a lot of the cinematic cliches, sort of billowing curtains, secret passages, the will at midnight, the jewel thief wearing a, a mask or an outrageous costume, you know, the fainting heroine, all this, the, the gathering of suspects in a room, all of that sort of stuff. And then this led on to the sound era. The Cat and the Canary got remade as a sound film called The Cat Creeps, which is now sadly lost. Apart from there are a few fragments of it around because it, it got used in a short film called Boo, which also featured scenes from Frankenstein and from the German film Nosferatu. So the only place that you can see any of the cat creeps is a couple of minutes of it in this short called Boo from 1932. But the feature itself has been lost. And it was also made, as often happened at the time, into a Spanish language version. Um, that was filmed on on the same sets. And uh, I'm not sure of the status of that, whether that still exists or not. But the sound version, The Cat Creeps, has gone. Then you got the, the sort of classic of the genre. James Whale had just come off making um, Frankenstein. And as we know, he stayed in the horror genre for a few years, making um, The Invisible Man and The Bride of Frankenstein. But as part of that um, little sequence of horror movies that he did in the early 30s, he made a film called The Old Dark House. It's based on J.B. Priestley's novel, Benighted, mm-hmm. and um, is perhaps the masterpiece of the little subgenre that we're talking about. Well, yeah, I mean, J.B. Priestley was known for writing, uh, obviously, and Inspector Calls is a really famous yeah, yeah. play by him he wrote 10, 15 years later and was a staple of uh, theatre and local small town, small town productions for years and years and years afterwards. So, yeah, that, that kind of, like, he was a master at that. And here, it's all on display. Sure is. I mean, we've got Boris Karloff here, who, who not only just done Frankenstein, but he'd just come off Scarface as well. We didn't yeah. mention that he was in Scarface very briefly, playing a rival gangster to Paul Mooney. So you see how all this stuff connects up, you know. So, yeah, Karloff had done Scarface and then he's in uh, The Old Dark House playing the traditional sinister butler character, the guy who opens the creaky door to the travellers after their car's broken down on a stormy night. Yeah, as Adam says, you guys have all seen Scooby-Doo and you've all seen all of the spoofs of this sort of stuff. You know all the cliches, you know how it's going to play out. It's a very odd role for him, though. Don't you think it's a very odd role for Karloff at that point? So just, you know, just come off Frankenstein's big hit, Karloff the Uncanny, Karloff, Karloff, Karloff. And then here he is playing a mute butler. Yeah, I, I think all I would say to that is that if you think, think about Frankenstein, and I don't think at that time he was seen as being the main character in that movie. I think it was more seen as a vehicle for Colin Clive. Oh. Playing, playing the character of, of the Baron, it made Karloff a star, but he was already in his mid-40s at this time. You know, he'd been around, he'd been making silent films for years, and um, 
he achieved a great success in Frankenstein playing the monster. And uh, he worked quite a bit with Howard Hawks. He was in Hawks' film The Criminal Code as well before Scarface. So he was he was part of the Hawks uh, stock company. But I don't think he was really seen as much more than, oh, he's that guy you see in Howard Hawks' films, you know. And Whale had used him brilliantly in Frankenstein and he'd really risen to the occasion. But I think this was still sort of early days in his career. I think people were still coming to terms with the fact that he was a star. And of course, nobody talked about Frankenstein as being a horror film at that time. As our friend John Tolson will tell you, who's done talks at the Quad about this era of 1930s horror. You know, John will be the first person to mention. These films weren't called horror films. There, there was no name for them. So there was nothing for audiences to really latch onto and nothing for a publicity department to latch onto. And so, it's perhaps not quite so surprising that Karloff's part isn't built up more in the old dark house. I think he's fairly prominent in it, and um, and he's visually the most interesting character. He he looks like he's been on lockdown, you know. He's he's, uh, <laughs> he's he, he looks like you know one one of us nine weeks in. You know, he's he's not had a haircut or a shave for for, for three months, you know. But uh, and he looks very sort of physical and menacing. And again, you were talking about the use of camera work in Public Enemy. There's a lot of stuff in. The old dark house where they shoot Carl off from underneath to make him look really imposing and uh, and really really menacing. Yeah, I think I think maybe one of the one of the ones that one of the things I want to talk about with this particular subgenre of crime cinema is that based on stage plays, they were relatively cheap to shoot. Yeah, so you yeah. didn't just have the big budget studios making these films; you also had smaller. Uh, companies making these films sometimes yeah, on the you, same you don't sets. Often, you'd often have standing sets as well. They they might even shoot on on a, a soundstage using flats or sets from a major studio, you know, and uh, or you know maybe even from a local theatre production, whatever. But uh, it, it was fairly easy to get a few bits of, of sort of you know fake oak panelling and a desk from somewhere and make a fairly convincing haunted haunted mansion or a, a manor house being stalked by a jewel thief or something. You know, knock one of the panels out and you've got a secret passage. So yeah, I mean James Wales obviously like the the the, the epitome of of, the, of this sort of like the masterpiece of this yeah. subgenre. Hence the, hence the fact that we we refer to it as the old dark yeah. house subgenre. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But it also set the tone with a sort of like the tongue firmly in its cheek tone yeah. to these types of films. Well, I think that that was there as early as Griffith. I think I think as I say, comedians came along and immediately spoofed the Griffith film. And I think the Griffith film didn't necessarily take itself all that seriously either. Right. So yeah, it's a genre that's got comedy embedded into it. I think. So what are the one of the other standouts I want to talk about? It's not a great film, but The Bat Whispers, nineteen thirty. Yeah, that's, that's yeah, well well worth mentioning because it's a, it's a, it's the sound remake of The Bat. You know, as as with the Cat Creeps and and Cat and the Canary, but it it, it was shot on sixty five millimeter film, which <laughs> which is a gauge that never caught on. No, so it's widescreen. In, in a time, you know, everyone thinks widescreen movies were introduced around the time of CinemaScope, nineteen fifty-three. But here's here's a widescreen movie from nineteen thirty. And also, its influence on popular culture was huge. 
mainly for its, in the title. Yeah, the bat yeah. whispers. Yeah, yeah. The, 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 the style of the of the the creature terrorizing people in there is very reminiscent reminiscent of Batman, and it was utilized by uh, Bob Kane when he was creating. I, I, th- I think I think that was acknowledged as well. I, I yeah. think you know they, they've sort of said yeah it was one of the things that we we took inspiration from. Yeah. So just that that influence alone on popular culture for the next hundred years it, it sets it in stone, doesn't it? What other films would you single out as being ones to look for? I watched one called One Frightened Night last night. Yes, I've, I've not seen that, so I'm keen to hear about that from you. So it's well, it's a mascot pictures film, so it's very low budget, very low budget. I watched it back to back with Old Dark House. Yeah, so it, it stood out even more after watching the uh, the the brilliantly shot, wonderfully set, great uh, set design and sound design, and of Old Dark House. And then I cut to this um, to this uh, one Friday night, and it's super low budget, and it's ham <laughs> actors. And it's, yeah, it's all what you'd expect. It's an old man who um, is talking about his will. He's leaving all his money to his to his family. And then just as he's about to leave his money to his family, a, a daughter that he never knew he had turns up and, uh, and, and she gets left the money because he hates his family. So again, a storyline that you see in time and time again, more, obviously most recently in um, Knives Out, last year yeah yeah so the very same plot and and it's a staple of those genres that's been interesting that, that the old dark house movie has made a bit of a comeback recently with knives out and with the ready or not i think as well yeah and obviously the the agatha christie yes of course agatha christie's very big at the moment so uh we, we'll be talking about agatha and her influence in in a whole other podcast sometime. I, I think uh, definitely definitely yeah. she definitely deserves her own podcast there doesn't she i just want to mention the universal films again before we we wrap up because then they're, they're known universal horror is known in the 1930s for the great dracula and frankenstein movies and the james Whale stuff like old dark house and invisible man and then the, the wolf man later on and the mummy films and so on there's, there's this whole substrata of universal horror that doesn't often get talked about, and it stems from the, the old dark house. They did this string of non-supernatural horror movies and mansion-set thrillers and so on, and films with secret passageways and things, and they're quite varied. They, they weren't made as a sort of ongoing series. They're all independent of each other. But there was a film in 1933 called The Secret of the Blue Room, which is well worth seeing. That's a very traditional um, old dark house mystery. But there were things later on, like in 1935, they did a version of the unfinished Charles Dickens novel, The Mystery of Edwin Drood. And they did a film called The Great Impersonation. I think this was a story that, it was a spy story. It was like a spy thriller that had been filmed once in the 1920s, I think, and then it was filmed then again later. But this universal version in 1935 has horror sequences in it. So it sort of ties it in with their string of horror movies from that first half of the 1930s. So yeah, if, if you're interested in old dark house, thriller, mystery films, and you like universal horror, delve a little bit deeper into universal and you'll find some thriller and crime movies in there that might be of interest. The one last film that I want to mention is from MGM, made in 1943. It's seven minutes long. You'll find it on YouTube. And it's a cartoon by the great T. 
Tex Avery. It's called Who Killed Who? And it rips every cliche of the old Dark House movie to perfection. It just nails every single cliche that we've talked about. The book that did it, all of this. There's even a cameo for Santa Claus in it, which you don't get in any other old Dark House movie, or not any that I've seen. Tex Avery's Who Killed Who. I won't tell you any more about it. Go and watch it as soon as you finish listening to this. Well, Santa's always the most suspicious in any <laughs> murder mystery. You know, you're looking for as a left field um, choice for the killer. Santa is 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 barely out there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much for listening. We really do appreciate it. These podcasts wouldn't be possible without the support of Quad and the BFI. Please don't forget to check out our Facebook page for updates, our website for show notes and further reading. And we will be back in a couple of weeks with our next episode, Five Reasons to Love RKO Pictures. See you then.